0: Right now on the Ringer Gambling feed and all throughout the entire month of August, the East Coast Bias Boys are getting you ready to bet the NFL this season. We're going through each and every single division and revealing our favorite futures, predicting division winners, and even giving you some award winners. Do we think the Kansas City Chiefs will repeat or will they be dethroned? Tune in now to find out on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this. Now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car, like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit Armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. Hello! Welcome to the Ringer F1 Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Megan Schuster. I will be your host today, and we are here to dig into the results of a wet-and-wild Belgian Grand Prix weekend. Max Verstappen wins his eighth straight race, beating Sergio Perez by 22.3 seconds. Charles Leclerc finishes third, followed by Lewis Hamilton, who pitted late and stole the fastest lap. And rounding out the rest of the top ten is Fernando Alonso, George Russell, Lando Norris, Esteban Ocon, Lance Stroll, and Yuki Sonoda. It's the last race before the summer break, so this will help inform a lot as we get ready for the back half of the season. We have locked Kevin Clark out of the studio, and I am joined by Spanners Ready. Spanners, how are you? What was your biggest takeaway from this weekend in Belgium?
0: I'm feeling emotional. I think my biggest takeaway might be that, I, yeah, I do have a level of uh, emotional investment in Formula One, and it's it's a long, old weekend, the sprint weekend. I, mm-hmm. I didn't get fully on board on the Austrian Grand Prix weekend, because it was just, it, it takes up too much time. And I had an event that weekend, but this weekend, I had nothing but F1 to focus on. So I said, Well, I'm really going to absorb it. I'm going to stop being a, a negative ninny about the sprint weekend format, and I'm just going to try and enjoy it as presented. And, and whilst I've got plenty of flaws to pick with how the actual sprint race was conducted, and obviously there's a lot of challenges around the weather, like this was a really beefy, full Formula One weekend with exciting qualifying, good racing. And as someone invested in certain drivers, you know, a lot of teammate battles had really interesting swings. People's stocks went up and down. There was a couple of quality coming togethers so we can, you know, play a game of um, whose fault do we think it is, uh, (laughs) assign blame to stuff. So, you know, there was just loads going on. It was a really full F1 weekend. And having been opposed to sprint weekends, and I still am, I've gotten a lot out of this weekend.
1: Yeah, we can talk about, I think, just kind of the generalities of having qualifying on Friday, sprint qualifying Saturday, sprint race Saturday, and the regular race on Sunday. I think there's a lot that we can take out of all of the team's performances across the whole weekend. And I know it made the race a little bit more interesting for me going in today because, you know, if you really only have sort of the one free practice in semi-dry weather and then everything for the sprint race and even qualifying was like wet or wet adjacent, then it made sort of the tire strategy decisions today a lot more interesting. And the pit stop strategy today also was uh, was pretty fascinating to see what teams decided to go with. Yeah. And the the thing is,
0: they had to make decisions all weekend on changeable conditions. So the weather forecast, say, according to Met Weather, BBC, uh, and that, those kind of sites, was all saying it was going to be pretty interchangeable Friday, Saturday, and then and then be drier with cloud on Sunday. So teams mm-hmm. almost had to kind of gamble on what kind of setup they were going to go for. And I think it was James Vowles who gave an insight on what teams do yeah. differently between the wet weather setups and the dry weather setups. So they're saying, really, actually, they're, they're a lot closer than they used to be in the olden days. But I think the key one that we as you know dumb fans who aren't going to go into the the nuances of ride height and all that kind of stuff. The, the easiest thing to get our head around is some teams decided to go for more downforce to deal with the wet weather better. So you've got more aero hitting your wings, bigger wing surface, plants you to the ground, moves more water. And the, the likes of like McLaren went a little mm-hmm. bit that way. I, I think George Russell went, might have gone a little bit he that did. way as well. He did. Yes. Okay, brilliant. Yes. Um, and then uh, some teams went you know, a, a different way and looking for the dry weather. So Hamilton, I think, was more of an overall compromise, but uh, less wing than Russell. And then teams like Aston Martin went for, you know, a full let's go for a dry Sunday and, and, and look better there. So when we're looking at this as part of the, the overall season cake, you know, this slice has been quite heavily affected by that. And that's great in a way because on the sprint race, we saw some teams being strong. We saw McLaren and Piastri being strong. Mm-hmm. And then we saw the Aston Martins having a, a little bit of a recovery with um, Alonso able to kind of push up as the kind of fourth fastest car on that setup on the Sunday. So overall, like a really fascinating weekend, but you you can't really manufacture that. That's one of the great things about Formula One. You know, when people are complaining about boring races and oh, that didn't spark, we've had a few boring races in a row. But I think I think it's sort of worth it because you're waiting for all these different conditions and factors to swarm in together and they all move around until finally that logo finally hits the corner of the screen and you get something a bit special.
1: Mm-hmm. I think another potential uh, outcome from this weekend is that maybe we should just give Max Verstappen a grid penalty every week and kind of make oh, yeah. him work his way up through the field and and see just, just how far back we can put him to have him win or, or even not even win because it seems like at this point that's kind of a foregone conclusion but you know how far back can we put him that it takes him over half a race to get into first place or you know whatever this is uh he won from 6th today which is now i believe he's won from nine different grid positions throughout his F1 career which is an F1 record um he is now won from pole 6th and 14th at Belgium just just like a fully yeah. fully dominant race from him and a very uh interesting weekend between well. him and his race engineer as well
0: Well, I mean, good. Look, they've got the package and they've built that package around Max Verstappen. I'm sure we'll come to Sergio Perez later. And that combination Mm -hmm. is absolutely bossing it. No, don't nerf them. There'll be plenty of times in the season where a team develops ahead and has a few good races or they they naturally have an engine penalty or a gearbox penalty. I don't think there's going to be much apart from a DNF or a moment up over Radion that's going to stop Max Verstappen. But don't, don't stop it. Just honestly enjoy it. It's just one of those things. He is very, very clearly in the ascendancy at the moment. He is at his peak driving wise and the car is absolutely amazing. It's almost a shame really that his peak is quote unquote wasted on such a good car because you mm. maybe, maybe you want to see you know more of that, uh, the, the raw talent and where he's got to in his career fighting wheel to wheel against a, a very equal car. But that's just not the way it's worked out. You could argue Lewis Hamilton had the same thing in 2017, 2018, 2019. He really got the measure of Ferrari and Vettel very, very quickly. And those were probably among his, mo- his best years, his most polished years. So, that look, that happens. Um, I will say the thing I really liked about Verstappen this weekend is he was just chipper. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> does that make sense? Does that translate? He was... Um, he had a real spring in his step. He was happy. He was, you know, he was joking around. Was he he was, being, was he? Was he? I think so. He was being punchy. Oh, uh, yeah. You're gonna, pun,
1: punchy is a good word for it. Punchy is, yeah. Okay. He was put a it this bit way. all over the place. Yeah. His social I, I,
0: media, his presence in the interviews, Everything was big smiles. Yeah, I'm not a Va- Verstappen fan. I want Verstappen to be the baddie. But his smiles to this weekend were infectious. Every time he smiled, I smiled. And then I caught myself and went, no, oh, no, 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 we don't do that. Uh, honestly, I think he looks to be enjoying his F1 again. And the criticism in the last few races was like, he's not even thrilled. He's, he's bored by it. He doesn't seem to be relishing the challenge. He's talking about quitting F1. He's talking about, well, I wouldn't do this forever. But loads of quotes from him this weekend, like, no, I'm enjoying the challenge. I want to win by more. I, I'm trying to see how much I can win by. And then you can see everything on the radio, because I'm sure you want to talk about the radio. Everything on the radio yes, is, hung- yes. is hungry. I, I, I wanted to do better than that in that qualifying. Uh, I, want to, uh, I want to go for the fastest lap. I want, I want to push further, even still worrying about what Perez is doing. Okay, you're telling mm-hmm. me to slow down. Is Perez getting that same instruction?
1: Mm-hmm. Mhm mhm. I I think you're right. I th- I think that is my overall takeaway from the messages between him and Jean-Pierre Lambiassi this weekend is that he does still really want to win even though he's far and away the best driver on the grid with the best car and he has, you know, mounds and mounds of uh of points leads and and will probably win the race very handily very soon. Um Yeah. So there, should we should we just go through their scraps because there are a few a few a few quotes that I would like to read off. So kind of started during qualifying during Q2. He just scraped through in tenth, and there was a bit of a disagreement between him and the team over whether he was going to do a double flying (laughs) lap on his last attempt in Q2 or whether they were going to space things out and he would have his last lap um, at a time when it seemed like the track conditions were getting better and better. Um, So yeah, Max came on the radio and said we should have just bleeping push two laps in a row like I said GP responds but you're through max and you said yeah I don't give an f mate I'm through in p10 it was just shit execution and then <laughs> GP comes back and says okay and then when the track was two seconds quicker for your final lap and you didn't have any energy left how would that have gone down but you tell me what you want to do in q3 and we'll do it let me know Sets, fuel run plan all of it
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is that and that is the air of every sergeant major around the world <laughs> dealing with some young officer and it's that second bit. But you tell me what you want to do mm-hmm. in Q3, sir. You tell me what you want to do on this uh, exercise, sir. Yeah, sure. We'll pack all the uh, the rations that you want and uh, and then you can deal with it when the men are starving. So he he definitely is coming across with this kind of no BS. Look, I am in charge. Mm-hmm. I am doing mm-hmm. my job. I'm sitting at a desk and you are flying around a racetrack at 200 miles an hour getting thrown around with your head like a billiard ball so maybe sometimes i've got more information than you so i hope that that the relationship they've got there is a kind of understanding relationship where you go okay well that person you know my driver is under a huge amount of pressure he can Mm -hmm. give me all the all the crap he wants but I will lay it down, uh, you know, as it is in a factual way. And, and and Max even came on the radio later in that session, didn't he? Went, sorry, I was a bit aggy. Yeah,
1: after after he uh, yeah finished P1 in qualifying, he came on and, and apologized for that. And and I think, too, it, it does seem that there's like a very healthy level of respect there because I don't think that GP would talk to Max in that way if he didn't feel like he could get the, the response that he's looking for. And then, you know, in the race today, we have him telling Max... To use his head um, when he came out of his his first pit stop and and took a lot out of the tires on his outlap. GP came on and said, you know, not sure that that was so sensible. Maybe we don't need to uh, be gassing the tires quite so hard when you have oh, a seven-second lead already over your teammate. And then, you, yeah, when Max came back on and suggested building up a lead and pitting and trying to go for the fastest lap at the end, and he shut that down pretty fast. So. I, I don't know if, if maybe you know a summer break will do them good to just uh, ease out any sort of tone over the radio, but I, I do get the sense that this probably happens a lot between the two of them.
0: I mean, it's calm, isn't it? I suppose different drivers would prefer different things. So with um, Lewis Hamilton and Bono, so uh, Peter Bonington never gets like super excited, no matter how an- animated mm-hmm. Hamilton is. You know, mm-hmm. He just says, well, we, we did it because of this. So Bono's approach seems to be... Here's a very quick, detailed explanation of my thinking, go. Whereas um, uh, Gianpero Lambayasi seems to be more like, no, wind your neck in. I'm making (laughs) the right calls. You just have to trust me. So there was an interesting one with when they were saying, uh, okay, so you need to to stick to this pace or whatever. And he wanted to know if Perez was doing the same. He's like, no, just follow my instructions. (laughs) <laughs> and trust me, okay, it's like we, we're about to suffer radio communications any second now, Max. So, look, <laughs> that that might be, you know, how they prefer it. And I, I kind of, I love the these driver relationships with their, their pit crew, with their uh, team engineer. You know, you had Felipe Massa and Rob Smedley, for example, uh, back in the day. And, you know, you really felt how emotionally invested Rob Smedley was. And he was a little bit more emotional on the radio and he'd go you know come on Felipe baby we can do this so I think you know this is a this is you know slightly different dynamic to one that we've seen and it's not one that you would expect because you feel like Max goes around stomping and kicking things knocking tables over and he's the he's like the boss but what we're seeing here is mutual respect nothing Mm -hmm. more and I love Mm
1: -hmm. it I love it too so so looking at Red Bull as a whole you know Checo has kind of a second redemptive weekend in a row, I would say, where it it feels like he's sort of coming out of whatever weird slump he was in for the last month or so, better qualifying. He got, you know, a good jump on on Charles Leclerc today and ends up in second, but still 22.3 seconds behind Max. And we got a question on Twitter about whether the difference between Max and Checo is really a question of ability. And I know, I think you have some thoughts on this, Banner, so I'll just kind of open the floor to you on what you think the primary ah. differences between the two of them.
0: A whole floor to myself. Thank you, Shusty. <laughs> I'll fill that floor. Okay. Look, um, there's there's three three legs to my Perez tripod today. Okay. Oh, number great. one. Number I'm ready. one. Settling in, in a neutral mule car. F1 mule car. Neutral balance, sort of like the the median balance and performance. What do we think the actual field spread of the drivers is? You know, like over a race pace. So today, if you look at the amount of laps Verstappen was ahead of Perez, it mm-hmm. kind of suggests a second lap difference. And yeah. that's on race pace, if Verstappen is pushing. So mm-hmm. like what do we think the field spread is among the 20 drivers? Because if if that I I would have been surprised if you'd said to me, the field spread on race pace in the middle of a stint is a second throughout the whole field. And you have to think like if if we had go-karts in primary schools, provided free, and just picked the best go-karters to move forward, and funding wasn't an issue, I don't think there's any way you'd be in F1 and have a natural one-second gap. But do we think that there's a real one-second gap between Verstappen and Perez on on all equal terms?
1: Probably not. Probably not a full second. No.
0: No. So then, then it, it goes well. There's a couple of options here because. You kind, of, you kind of look around at Perez's ex-teammates and how he's performed. He hasn't looked a second off the pace on race pace in any of his other teams. So let's, just, let's give Perez a bit of credit and let's, you know, I know there's Verstappen fans out there going, yeah, he's a second a lap faster than every <laughs> driver in F1. I just, I can't see that that's the case. So Verstappen has been up against, you know, Albon, Gasly, Ricardo. And within that Red Bull structure, kind of made them all look a bit ordinary. So mm-hmm. r- one of two things is happening: either all those drivers are you know worse. A, they're all worse. B, Verstappen's much much better than we give him credit for—an almost godlike ability to to drive a car, never before seen in F1 uh, or or th- or three. Was I doing ABC or one two three? I've forgotten. The third one, the third option is that <laughs> Red Bull set up as him as the number one, and they develop towards him, and he has a unique driving style. Uh, or you can go full tin foil hat and say he gets a different car that they develop one car one way or one car another way. And and I wonder if that's not something that's been a bit left to previous generations of, of Formula One. I, I I can't see now that there are different specs of car between drivers and teams anymore, uh, apart from an upgrade. So one driver, mm-hmm. so like Norris got those right. upgrades a little bit and then Ki- Piastri got them a little bit later. That mm-hmm. makes sense when you've got lead times for manufacturing. So I think the, the only option we're kind of left with is that the car is really set up for, for Max Verstappen. And See, I, I don't speak to the Helmut Marcos of the world, so I have, to, <laughs> I have to go around in the gutter, Meg, and speak to people, you know, uh, to maybe to, to Derek in the telecommunication. You know, Derek in HR gives me a bit of a Sure, hint. right. So right. anyway, so I, I think what, we're, what we've been kind of, you know, hearing on the grapevine is that perhaps to start with, Perez was going his own way on setup, and it just wasn't the ultimate way. But he was getting mm-hmm. some results earlier in the mm-hmm. season. He was driving right. a lot better. And then there was a cliff his performance dropped off a cliff. Did Sergio Perez decide I'm never going to get the ultimate pace on my setups. I'm just going to copy Verstappen and I'm just going to deal with it. And are we Hmm. seeing him dealing with it gradually better over the last four or five races?
1: That's certainly an interesting theory. I've made a case,
0: haven't I? I've made a case. You have,
1: you have. I'm slowly coming around to your side. I think for me, it's it's a combination of your, your second and your third points. I think the setup certainly has to factor into it. And I do think Max Verstappen is a kind of once in a generation like talent, you know, akin to oh, Lewis yeah. Hamilton. I agree. And I, I think he's, you know, any any teammate you put in that car, maybe aside from a Lewis Hamilton or a, you know, younger Fernando Alonso, maybe even today Fernando Alonso. Can I push back I, slightly?
0: I, I think you yeah. put Lewis Hamilton in Perez's seat, I don't think he matches Verstappen. Hmm. I think if you put Verstappen in the Mercedes in George Russell's seat, I think maybe Hamilton has the edge because I think Mercedes has been kind of built around Lewis Hamilton as much as Red Bull has been built around Max Verstappen. So, yeah, we would have to find a neutral. What's a neutral car that no one cares about? Okay, let's put Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton in everyone's 10th favorite team, Alpine. And let's see how they do then. That'll be fair.
1: (laughs) Incredible. Um, So we talked a little bit about car setups today. And... McLaren was an interesting one all weekend. It was sort of a disappointing day for them, I would say, after you know two positive races in a row and and a, a pretty positive sprint race for them too. Uh, Lando finishes today seventh. Oscar Piastri retires after getting into an incident with Carlos Sainz on the first <sighs> lap, uh, where. Here's where maybe we can legislate the, the who was at fault <laughs> of it all, because uh, it seemed like Carlos was paying more attention to Lewis on the outside and then had a bit of a lockup and steered into the skid in and, you know, kind of ran right into Oscar Piastri and forced him into the wall there. So I know Carlos has come out after the race and said that he believes it was Oscar Piastri's fault and his uh, <sighs> his lack of experience at the Belgium uh. track and him being a rookie was uh, sort of he at play. That. Carlos... Carlos oh. said something along the lines of, oh, "You know, God. a more veteran driver would know not to try to come up on the inside like that." Wow, which is which is interesting considering the fact that Carlos's lockup was really what seemed to me to to be what caused everything. But where did you land on yeah. that, and uh, kind of what were your <laughs> what were your overall thoughts on McLaren today?
0: All right, well, cheeky plug then for uh, my Twitter. Oh no, it's not Twitter anymore. For my ex, oh yeah, right, right, where I did a, an ex post. And uh, the one <laughs> up there at the moment, I, I did some screen grabs. And you see like Piastri approaching turn one. There mm-hmm. is nothing in front of him up right. until you get to Leclerc. Like There's a huge gap in front of him. Slightly to the left of Leclerc is, is Perez, who ends up getting a better run down towards A Rouge and Radion. And then to, to the far left, you've got Hamilton and Sainz. Now Sainz has started off kind of, he'd gone to the middle of the track from the left-hand side of the track then followed Hamilton over to the left and then you saw like he he was looking for a gap on the outside it's not mm-hmm. there drives through Hamilton's draft so straight through his dirty air where he then locks up and and you can see like his relative position to the other cars braking changes so he goes relatively deeper than those those other cars because it's not a massive lock but it's enough that he's not braking exactly where he wants to He's not exactly under control. And so it was a move that was, it's like, it's kind of on. He can physically put his car there, even though Hamilton was always going to be able to drive around the outside. The the big downside for Carlos Sainz was by the time all of that had shaken out, there Mm -hmm. was an orange non-space entity where he wanted to put the car. I think, like, it, I'm, I'm, like, okay, so he would have been surprised that Piastri is there, but there isn't mm-hmm. a racing driver on Earth that doesn't go into that gap in Turn 1. So, right. like, Because of right. the concertina effect into Turn 1, uh, you know, you'll find this in go-karting or sim racing. If there's six cars in front of you, you can't take your normal braking point. So you're always having to account for The car's in front. And at my sort of low level, I always lift a little bit early just to scare the car behind me so that they know, (laughs) no, the speed's coming off now. So we're all Mm -hmm. brake. We can't take your normal braking point. But then every now and then, the glorious thing happens that happened to Piastri, which is like there's a gap. There's a gap that just, you would not have predicted it would be there. So suddenly you don't have to account for the concertina effect and nor should you. You can almost take a more normal braking line and you can brake all the way up to where that gap ends. And so from Piastri's point of view, and I've, and I've tweeted then subsequent screenshots, he's made that decision to go into the gap, and then Carlos Sainz just appears. Um, <laughs> h- however, as we know, because Piastri put a hole in the side of Carlos Sainz, he mm-hmm. automatically gets a penalty, doesn't he? Because we, we steward in F1 against consequences, not
1: actions. <laughs> It it was certainly a disappointing result for Piastri today. It was disappointing for me. I was really curious to see, you know, with him starting in fifth today, just what he'd be able to do, especially after that sprint qualifying performance where he came in P2 and, you know, his sprint race overall where he finished second. I I don't know how well that car would have done given the setup that they chose and how much Lando seemed to struggle in the dry conditions today. It looked really great in the wet weather and the, the... very little bit of rain that we got today seemed yeah. to kind of fix some of the issues that Lando was having. And it sounded like he was having a steering wheel problem for the first, maybe third of the race or so too. So I'm sure that contributed mm. to it, but I would have really liked to see what Oscar could have done over the whole race. And, um, it seemed really seems like he's rounding into form right now.
0: So there's a, you know, there's a famous overtake with, uh, Zonta who was a backmarker and then Mika Hakkinen was able to take advantage of Zonta being there, at, you know, leading up to Lacombe on the Kemmel straight to overtake. I'm going to get this wrong. I think it was Schumacher. He was racing. <laughs> and it's just this absolutely iconic moment down that Kemmel straight where they, they both kind of swarm the back marker. And Lando Norris was living that reality for the whole race because mm. every time he we went down the Kemmel straight, he was just getting swarmed. Um, he was. But I don't think it was as bad as it, as it looked. So their overall lap times were fine first in yeah he was struggling then they went on to the hards and they were the only team i think to go on to the hards and and it looked like disastrous so he was, he was down in 18th at one point then he strapped the softs on and then and at one point he was lapping 4 seconds faster than max verstappen and that was yes. that was as the rain was just starting to come down yes. so the old mediums yes. maybe were just cooling down a bit too much mm-hmm. and then it it came to life and and he shot up the pack and ended up in in 7th place so the 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 McLaren gamble wasn't that bad and i think the the glory of saturday with piastri up there in second place was like so incredible it was mm-hmm. such an incredible result that uh that, that he i feel like he was nearly sort of owed that because he could have done a little bit better at silverstone had the safety mm. car gone a different way so that that result was due piastri has g- been giving us clues that he's got something bubbling under and, uh, and and what well, you were saying to me earlier, maybe maybe a genuine uh, uh, irritation and threat to Lando Norris. It
1: it's certainly fascinating, given what he did this weekend, and I think just the confidence level that he showed. I I know, like in the sprint, I think he realized pretty quickly that he wasn't going to compete with Max uh, long term, which was fine. But for him to finish in second in those those really kind of wet, nasty conditions from Saturday. Was Yeah, showed a lot of poise from him and was very impressive to see him qualifying that well, too. And I think he was also a big winner this weekend, given uh, the news that we've gotten from Alpine this week, which we haven't talked about yet. Oh, my goodness. But uh, yeah, if you haven't already heard, uh, team principal Atmar Schaffnauer and the team sporting director are out as of the end of this weekend. There will be an interim team principal, Bruno Fermin, stepping in, who is already within Alpine. There have been rumblings that potentially uh, Mattia Bonato could be in the mix going forward as a, a future team principal, which oh, okay. I, I would adore having him back on the grid and having him in with a French team would be very fa- a very fascinating like he, uh, he'd mashup he'd more, of cultures and vibes. He'd be more
0: candid, I think. And, and maybe under a little bit, maybe a bit freer, yeah, because he's a bit of a bigger deal at Alpine than he would be at Ferrari. So I always felt mm-hmm. at Ferrari he was he was a little bit muffled by the kind of doublespeak, and he would he would just sure. say things that are so obviously not true. And you go, well, why are you saying that? You're obviously under pressure to present some kind of front. So maybe yeah, at uh, mm-hmm. Alpine, where he can just kind of go, yeah, this this is what I think. I, maybe we'll see a Benotto unleashed. That might be good. Well, I have to say like Renault it is Renault since mm-hmm. they returned to f one since they took over Enstone since they took over from Lotus like they have just they've been my least favorite team in f one for for ages, and I think it's just they came in to kind of go, yeah well, we'll just yeah, we'll boss this yeah we'll come in, you know give us five years and we'll be there, yeah yet they never seem to get the backing of the real the parent company you know like it's like it feels like Renault's heart was never in it before the cost cap they could have they could have just bought F1. they could have they could have Mercedes it. <laughs> they could have done what Mercedes did and pile you know a, a thousand employees at it, but they they never did. And it always feels like Renault the, in this era were kind of kicked in, dragged in, kicking and screaming. and then when they said, "Well, you're not doing very well, Renault, J- uh, it's not Renault, actually, no, actually, no, not at all. It's now, it's Alpine. So let's just We've chill. We've
1: rebranded. Yes. <laughs> it's chill. Yes. And
0: then, but you look at the people leaving, jumping ship. Astri didn't want to be there. Then you're mm-hmm. going to sack, you know, Permain and, and Schaffnauer. And mm-hmm. you go, well, what's going, what's going on? What's going wrong? And of course the stuff with their CEO as well, uh, yes. whose name, Lauren Rossi. Rossi
1: who left yeah. a week ago and is sort of being repositioned within right now. Yeah:
0: Who Alain Prost described as the best example of Dunning-Kruger. Formula oh One has God. ever seen. So, like, he's basically saying his arrogance overcomes his uh, intelligence, and you just go, is, yes. "That's not happy." Because when you look at like Prost, Prost is like mm-hmm. a fully passionate, Renault through and through, and you know, doing look at the stuff he's doing in Formula E, and he's talking with open disgust, <laughs> you know, at that at that yes. organisation. So, yeah, I mean, Al- Alpine's a, a mess, and I just I don't understand at this point. They're all electric, Alpine. Why aren't they just cashing in? Sell it to Andretti. Just Go away.
1: That that would be interesting. Yeah. Alan Prost called Rossi, quote, an incapable leader who thinks he can overcome his incompetence by his arrogance and his lack of humanity towards wow. his troops. And he also said, the man who was the boss of Alpine for 18 months thought he had understood everything from the start when he was totally misguided. His, his management broke the momentum that had been in place since 2016. So yeah, very, very spicy quotes.
0: Blimey. He's got, he's got, he's got no splinters on his ass, has he?
1: Frost, He's not sat (laughs) on the fence. Absolutely not. And yeah, I mean, they got one tiny bright spot this weekend with Gasly finishing third in the sprint race. You know, a nice maybe like minor send off for Otmar, but then you have in the race they finished, I believe Ocon was eighth and Gasly was 11th. So just kind of Kind of more of the same from them. They seem pretty firmly locked into sixth in the the constructors. They've had four races so far this season with zero points, and they've had just one race this season with more than six points. So that's pretty unacceptable. And I think a big part of the reason it seems that Otmar and Co. are being let go is that there's just really no sense of urgency within this team to improve right now. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered.
0: Uh, some Alpine goodness, Ocon, great overtake uh, uh, on Sonoda in, in a place you wouldn't necessarily expect to see, you know, those overtakes. There was a few actually, because we've missed that with McLaren, Norris on the outside of Rivage, the hairpin down to no name before you get to Poo on. You don't see many overtakes in F1 around the outside there where the cambers falling away. It's a very difficult breaking zone. And I, I know he had a big tire advantage, but it was still spectacular to see. And Ocon did um, uh, did something similar on Sonoda and defended really well into Lacombe uh, on another occasion. I forget who it was against. I think it was actually against one of the Williams because the Williams were basically rocket ships with uh, with no downforce. So uh, Ocon found himself having to really defend into Lacombe. But then the second they get in there, you see that the downforce level and the grip kind of benefited them. They they maximised the strategy. So also like Aston Martin. I think they were they were looking at a dry setup as well, so mm-hmm. they would have been happy to see the weather. And then they just you know nailed the the route A strategy soft medium soft. Uh, so so they executed this race well, just in time to let their you know director of sport is that what Hermann is and their team principal go. You go oh, okay,
1: all right. Yes, it's great. It's really great. Um, speaking of Williams, let's get into some questions that we oh, got mate. this week. One that we got on Twitter was, is there any argument? We got this from a number of people. Is there any argument for having points all the way down the grid? Now, you know more about F1 history than I do. So maybe this is a moot point or maybe it's been tried before. But with the cars as reliable as they are these days, and at least four teams kind of trapped at the bottom of the sandings and having a difficult time differentiating from one another, is that an idea worth exploring? Or is that just kind of... uh,
0: I want to know your view first because I think this is all just based on William bias and that you just want Williams yeah, to get more points.
1: <laughs> I, I, I've I become a Williams fan this season and not not because of Logan Sargent, what you might think. Um, uh-huh. Watching Alex Albon this season has been one of the biggest joys for me. Just seeing him get the absolute most out of that car, pulling off points where he has no no right or reason to be pulling off points, overtaking people he has no, you know, reason to be overtaking. It it's it's been really wonderful. And I just want him to have the opportunity to finish in the points more than he has. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So we're gonna have to go a bit further down than 15th though, uh, which I think the tweet question was. So what mm-hmm. was the where did they finish today? Was it 17, 18?
1: Um, let's see. Albon was 14th. So. Oh, did
0: they come off a bit in the end, did they? Okay. And All right, fair enough.
1: Sargent was 17th.
0: Okay, so look, you're you're being incorrect about Williams aside because I'm just I'm a Williams fan from the olden days. I really am. Like you, you know that, that was that was my my team with the Nigel Mansell before he went to Ferrari, uh, Coulthard, mm-hmm. Damon Hill. I've I've always been a big big supporter of Williams. So when when people get excited every Friday by them kind <laughs> of coming out of the box with the package, like maybe they develop a little bit less. From the the Friday to the the Sunday, maybe it's a little bit less of a complex car so they know what they're racing with. Whereas you look at Mercedes and their relative position from Friday through to Sunday, changes a lot. Yeah, every Friday we have to endure. Is this Williams pace genuine? No, <laughs> no, it's not. Stop it. <laughs> but I what if it, it was? <laughs> be, but what if it was? What if on this magical occasion it was? And you know what? For one race it will be and everyone will go, see, Spanners, pff, shut up. <laughs> Shut your stupid face up, spanners! Um, but no, but generally, like you, you kind of tend to to learn which teams adopt certain plans and certain plans. So, like Ferrari do come out of the box swinging a little bit more. Red Bull tend to play less games when it comes to sandbagging. Mercedes don't necessarily sandbag. I think they just they concentrate on on certain things like balance on a Friday, and they just don't necessarily care about the ultimate lap time. And then they build to to Sunday, and that's just something that that they've always done. So, so first, that's the first thing. Stop getting your hopes up about Williams every single Friday and it'll be a lovely surprise when they get a point. But should Fine. we have points all the way down the grid? Mm-hmm. 100%. Like we definitely should. There's no way the battle for 16th should have no significance. And it's been like that for way, way, way too long. And I tell you what, it's, it's, a, it's a horse tied to a chair. So it's the horse that you've tied to a little plastic chair and he, go, he goes, well, I'm tied to that chair. We could just trot <laughs> away from that. It's tradition. It's tradition holding us back where loads of people go, but a Grand Prix point is so special. Do you remember the days <laughs> when only the top six got a point and getting a point was something so special? And you know what? Yeah, fine. But it meant that we cared a lot less about what was going on behind P6. Mm-hmm. It, it, we, can, we can make all of the race special instead of just, you know, the top half. And tradition isn't a good reason to stop doing it because we've changed it loads of times. We changed it to the top eight. And now it's the top 10. All we have to do is, okay, look, we know the kind of cars that finish in the top five. Let's quadruple the points for the top 10 and then just mm-hmm. have less points. Because it doesn't matter, does it? It's all space points. It doesn't matter if you get 100 <laughs> points for a win or 25 points for a win. Let's make it 100 points for a win and then you can have really small increments. So it's still special for a team to suddenly pop up and finish seventh. Oh my God, I got, I got 35 space points. It's going to take my <laughs> opponent... Age loads of P15s to get that many space points. So, yeah, absolutely. But it won't happen because of this nostalgic thing that a Grand Prix point is something special to cherish and behold because of in 18 Six, only six cars got it.
1: <laughs> Think how many points we could retroactively give to Yuki Tsunoda for his 11th place finishes.
0: That is my that prime be... motivation for this. <laughs> that is my prime motivation. And by the way, while we're on Tsunoda, I'm, rel- yeah. I'm relieved because uh, as a, a Sonoda fan, obviously for mm-hmm. Ricardo to go in there and look really strong the first weekend, uh, you yep. could—if you're a Ricardo fan—that's really positive. But if, like me, you're all in on the Sonoda train and you see this big threat of Daniel Ricardo coming in under a wave of hype, you're like, oh, we need a good result. We need a good result, lads. So, uh, so for for Sonoda to kind of have a quite a polished weekend, and actually Ricardo's race pace at the at the back. Like, it, it's bad. Where did he finish? I think he finished all but last, didn't he? But you go, well, his race pace, I was watching his 16th. times. Yeah, but I was watching his times throughout the Grand Prix. And his race pace relative to Sonoda. it was hard mm-hmm. to match because they were on different tyres most of the time, was was fine. It was good, actually. Yeah. So if you're a Ricardo fan, don't get despondent. I think it's mainly that he got dumped out of qualifying in, in Q1, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So we got a question about what like a quote unquote impressive performance from Ricardo would have looked like today. And yeah, I, I think it really was over for him in in qualifying when I he got his best lap time deleted because he exceeded track oh, limits yes! there, and I he would he would have been yeah. yeah well well into Q two. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. he was up near like tenth or twelfth or yeah. something in in Q one. So that yeah, that really hampered him, and you know he just really didn't have the pace I think to to do a terrible amount of overtaking from from at the back of the grid. But yeah, I don't see this weekend as a bad weekend for him. I see it as a very nice one for Iki though. finishing Exactly. 10th.
0: Let's not disrespect Yuki. Uh, he is a very <laughs> decent bar for Ricardo to go up against. And if we mm-hmm. get to the end of the season Absolutely. and Ricardo is regularly outperforming Yuki Sonoda, that's no mean feat. I think that should be mm-hmm. respected. I'm still I'm still putting my little bet. I'm still putting my space nuggets on Sonoda coming out looking best at the end of the season, but I also think they're going to have a season together next season as well.
1: So we, we did get a question on that. And I was going to wait, because at the end of this podcast, we're going to do kind of what we're looking ahead to for the second half of the season. But we might as well do it now. Somebody asked whether Yuki is a sleeper for Checo seat in 2025. And whether people oh. are just kind of, you know, with Daniel being in AlphaTauri right now, are they ignoring the, the real looming threat that is Yuki Tsunoda to earn yeah. a Red Bull seat? Yeah. And I, I am curious what you think the chances are there and <laughs> sort of how he is viewed internally in Red Bull.
0: So the big hand waving thing at the moment is people go oh no he's Japanese therefore he can only drive for Honda therefore he must be going mm. to Aston Martin in, when Alonso retires and you go okay well that's that's a fairly narrow way of looking at it mm-hmm. people's stock rises and falls in formula 1 you know very quickly and and so much of it is based on your performance against your teammate so two seasons of Sonoda looking good against Ricardo would raise his stock very well and Red Bull would be foolish to then take Ricardo, who's not performing well, over him or Lawson, who's untested, and put him straight into a Red Bull seat. So, absolutely, he's a what did the tweeter call it? A
1: sleeper. Yes, or, or if we're well, like sleeping on, horse, on Yuki's chances, yes. yes.
0: No, do you know what? I think he's the favorite for the Red Bull Twenty Twenty Five
1: seat. <laughs> I love this. I love it. I'm just a,
0: I'm just a guy in a shed who supports <laughs> Snowda, but uh, no, I think it's, I think it's more likely than people think.
1: Last question, and then we can get into some second half stuff. Garrett Hall asks if Max should be made to have one more pit stop than his teammate per race, which brings up a number of fun possibilities after, you know, after Max officially has the championship locked up, how can we kind of jerry rig this to make things a little more exciting? Um, I came up with a few possibilities. I think, you know, you have the mandatory extra pit stop, which would be fun. Um, make him start from the back of the grid every race, which would be interesting enough just to see how he, how quickly he's able to make his way through the field or give him a rain cloud just over his car.
0: His car um, alone
1: (laughs) has to deal with wet weather. (laughs) Those those are my, those are my three options.
0: I'm sure there's a part of, of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy where there's, there's a, there's a gentleman who always complains about how much it's raining and he hates the rain. (laughs) but he doesn't know that it's because the clouds love him and see him as a cloud god, and they, mm. they shower him with the gift of rain his whole life. So uh, I do like that. Yeah, let's give him his own personal race, rain cloud. <laughs> um, I mean, we could ask them to stay within the cost cap as well. Uh, let's, see if, <laughs> let's see how that shakes out in October. I think we're going to find out. So uh, no, no, uh, the, the boring answer is don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Have a look at the battle behind, because the battle behind was, was fascinating today. Ferrari were nowhere out of it, completely gone. And yet today they've turned up with a competitive race car and Leclerc Mm -hmm. looked good. So honestly, my my whole optimism from free practice one, looking at the the sprint race qualifying performance, I was looking at Mercedes and going, Mercedes actually have this with with Hamilton. Russell looked a bit oddly off form, like even more off form Mm -hmm. this weekend. But Hamilton looked really comfortable. You go, what have they done? Have they just... Have they just dialed that car into Lewis Hamilton? Because all season he's been going, I've been telling them, I've been telling them what, what I want. Maybe they've listened and they've just given him more Lewis Hamilton settings because the gap seems to have got bigger. Russell says he's uncomfortable. Hamilton looks comfortable. Over the last three or four races, whichever other cars have been popping up in that battle for second best car, Mercedes have been pretty consistent. And this seemed to be uh, like the, the, the most comfortable Hamilton has looked in that car on a track mm-hmm. where you'd kind of go, oh, there's big long straights here that might not necessarily suit Mercedes, yet they still looked kind of good. But then the team to challenge them this, this, this week and beat them this week has been mm-hmm. like Ferrari. So that battle behind is just, is, is incredible. So you genuinely don't know which car is going to come out on top, which driver is going to come out on top beyond the, the Red Bulls. And I think that's enough some seasons, that just has to be enough. If, like, like we've said, not gatekeeping anyone, but if this is a long-term relationship and not just an exciting, <laughs> sexy affair, then you're going to have to. It can't always be tickets to Glastonbury and mini golf. Sometimes you've got to go to Ikea and buy those cabinets. And that's what, <laughs> and that's what we're doing this season. And, and thankfully, the battle behind is good. And today we had good racing throughout the weekend. Yes, in, in changeable conditions. And I... Uh, uh, that to me, that's that's enough. That's enough for me. And I might be in a minority, but uh, long term, I think that's the healthiest approach.
1: I like it. I support it. Um, let's get into some second half stuff. I think we can just kind of go back and forth about the the storylines and and things we're most excited to watch. Uh, I can kick it off with silly season over the next month. I don't. Uh, I don't anticipate this being another twenty twenty two where we got all of the silliest seasons, um, all kind of the combined into of one where it, <laughs> it seemed like every driver wanted to make noise in in some respect, and every team did as well. Um, you know, with Nick DeVries already out, there doesn't seem to be a ton of movement on the horizon, but I'm sure we'll keep getting some fun uh, Daniel Ricciardo, Checo rumors. I'm sure we will get some uh, Ferrari upset or dysfunction or you know, more rumors that Charles Leclerc is talking to Mercedes or something along those lines. It seems like it yeah. pops up once a month. And once we have a month where there's no news, I think we'll get a lot of that stuff. So I'm looking forward to that.
0: All right. Well, you have to look down the grid, really, don't you? And you go, I think, mm-hmm. I think Perez today, he was saying, I, I, I'm not going to be off the podium now for the, for the rest of the season. And that, right. that might be real if my <laughs> final hypothesis was Correct that he's now getting to grips with driving Max's car and, mm-hmm. and that's enough to to keep him in, in second place kind of comfortably today. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're, they're safe. Ferrari would be mad to let go of Leclerc and signs. I think uh, McLaren have got a fantastic lineup. Alpine have got two really talented drivers as well. So like, where's that movement going to be? Uh, Alfa Romeo is, is Sauber next season, but I haven't heard anything. There's no reason you'd get rid of Bottas particularly, and no. uh, and 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 Wanyu jo, uh, who I think is a pretty much a buy-in driver, although I can't confirm it. I think Sauber need money, mm-hmm. so where where are the changes going to come? Could Lance Stroll face the axe? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Alonso will be there until he's you know until he's bored. And mm-hmm. uh, oh, actually, do you know who that might be at risk? Uh, Kevin Magnussen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know mm-hmm. when does his contract run out. <gasps> I don't, I don't know. But when, uh, when um, uh, Gunter Steiner was asked about Magnussen staying on, he said the priority is securing Hülkenberg's contract. And that doesn't sound ah. too promising, doesn't it? So I might have to like, look up when Magnussen's contract ends. But I don't think that's going to be thrilling because Aha's um, going to bring in the latest young buck or you know, are they more likely to you know, go more pay driver?
1: I believe Magnussen's contract is up at the end of this year. Well, there so. you go. I think he's he could the, be a candidate
0: listening to the whispers. Then I think, mm-hmm. yeah, he, mm-hmm. he could be one at risk, but who, who would want that has seat, you know? So like, it's if, a great is question. It, do Ferrari put in someone from their academy? Is, is that, you know, you know, with an engine deal or do they, do you know, just go for the next pay driver on the block? I don't, I don't know. I'm not particularly excited about <laughs> this driver lineup, to be honest. Um, Alpha Tauri, look pretty solid as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. Logan Sargent is probably the next one at risk because you want to do, okay, I get, this is the only negative feedback I get on the ringer is when I say that Logan Sargent is a buy-in driver, by which I mean (laughs) Williams profit from having him there. Like Williams are financially Mm -hmm. better off from having Logan Sargent there than not having Logan Sargent there and paying someone outright. People argue that with me, but I'd, I'd like, I like—I want to see the papers. I want to open the drawers. I don't know. I think he's the one at, at risk because even this weekend, whenever we hear from him or whenever we see him on track, it's because he's having a little spin. He's having a little off. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's not quite Schumacher levels, but it's just like we're not hearing enough of him for the right reasons. He keeps popping up right. for the wrong reasons.
1: It feels like every time he has a, a positive outing, there are two or three that follow that are not positive. So... Doesn't, doesn't seem to be making like linear progress mm. in the right direction, which is concerning.
0: No, and he's making Albon look very good.
1: Yeah, he does. What's your first uh, second half storyline that you're excited about?
0: Okay, second and a half storyline. I think, uh, let's see, let's see a continued fighting for podiums from uh, McLaren. And let's mm-hmm. see Ferrari settling down and just sorting out the basics. But really, the second half story should be really Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton. But it's not quite clicking at the moment. And there's, there's a few things that are being left on the table. They, they can't rely on their out-and-out their out pit strategy because their pit stops are just that little bit slower. And George Russell got put out peril, peril, perilously close to Lance Stroll. And, and that could easily have cost them you know, that, that place. And also, like Lewis Hamilton, yes, it was a, it was a slick stop. But other teams are doing two seconds and they're more like three seconds. Little incidents like sending the teams out, the drivers out together and not really getting on top of the fact that Russell's in a weird headspace with Lewis Hamilton. So in that sprint qualifying where he got ahead of Lewis Hamilton, overtook him at the beginning because they were told there was like no time left. So, so Russell made that rash decision, then locked up into turn one. Then ended up blocking Lewis Hamilton as well. And it's just little things like this where you go, there's something not quite clicking. There's not quite a cohesion where the weekend is coming together perfectly. And, and you have to look as well at Lewis Hamilton in Hungary where there was, there was an opportunity for more. There was an opportunity to be that second best team. And he let that go at the beginning of the race. So just all around, it feels like it's sevens and eights all around. Mm-hmm. Whereas Red Bull are cruising at 10, 10, 10 in every top trump area. Mercedes, I think they have the car. I actually think they've gone in the right direction, and they have the driver. So that's my my second half prediction for them is if, if they can just go away to a, a mountain retreat, and uh, <laughs> they all need like like in a uh, Ted Lasso, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Roy Kent takes the captain to you know street football. That's what they need to do. They need to go out and just go to uh, go to uh, Brighton karting uh, and and go right. Let's all go down here to this fantastic leisure, uh, you know, queue leisure facility, and then uh, and, and all kind of like remember kind of the joy of it and what they're doing and have something spark, then they can come back in the second half and then really just lay a foundation for, for 2024. So that's my, my big second half prediction. And, and I think it would be nice if, you know, if Ferrari, the Ferrari of today turned up on a few more tracks as well. That would be mm-hmm. better for F1
1: the Ferrari of today and the McLaren of last week, or even of Saturday, honestly, I I would take, that would be a really interesting kind of (laughs) three-way battle. Um, Sort of related to that, my, one of my big questions for the second half is about Aston Martin. Are they just done? Is this drop off permanent? And should we just start looking ahead to next season for them? Or is there any way that they can kind of pull off one more surprise and find a little bit more (laughs) pace over the second half of this season? My Assumption is that we should just start looking ahead to 2024 and if they can kind of develop on the car that they brought into the season and and hopefully make some more noise in the first half of next year. But it would be really fun if Fernando Alonso fought back. He is still technically third in the driver's standings yeah, by yeah, 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 one yeah. single point over Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> so don't count him out yet. But uh, my my sneaking suspicion is that they are probably going to be Maybe capped around like the fifth position uh, in races going yeah, forward. Yeah, so you
0: want to say, right, who's the, f- the are they the, the first most likely team to win? No. Second, third, but f- fifth most likely team to win? Yeah, maybe. So they're now in that zone where they really, they know they don't have the car to be fighting for this not Max Verstappen mm-hmm. title, which which is, I think, very valuable. It's worth going for. But they're not there and they thought they were going to be there or Alonso was told they were going to be there. Yes. I, I think that's done. It was a good weekend this weekend on the Sunday because teams had a choice as to whether to kind of gamble on a dry or a wet Sunday. And, and they went for the dry Sunday and they looked fine, but well off the pace of Lewis Hamilton. Right. So but there was no chance. you know, that It was basically a pit stop difference. Hamilton was able to then pit for the fastest lap ahead. And actually they had no problems dropping behind Fernando Alonso to then overtake as well. So uh, Mercedes weren't even factoring Alonso in as a threat. But it's interesting just, just looking at where they are and the tactics that they are doing now. They, they know, I think, there's no more real development to come relative to the other teams. So they are doing things like go for the alternate strategy, try and nick mm-hmm. a result, which is mm-hmm. what you do when you're a good midfield team. That's what a good midfield team should be doing. Um, you can go hang, you can hang around for, for the safety car, try and go long. Or uh, what they seem to be doing is every race they underfuel, and I, mm. I know uh, teams mm-hmm. will do it to a very a certain extent, but I think they really go for it. They really gamble on a safety car to underfuel and then get an advantage. And I think that's that is what you do when you're a midfield team, and and they are a midfield team. They're a midfield team who made a fantastic start to the season, and they have made fantastic starts to the season before. This is their best start to the season so their development tactic of just front loading at the start of the season looking at some other teams concepts and going let's let's throw everything at this and Mm -hmm. and and grab as many points as we can that's worked and that's a really valid midfield team tactic but wasn't it romantic (laughs) at the beginning of the season and i really i really i was sitting here just boring everyone to death at the beginning of the season because i was the big ruiner pointing out that it had had happened many seasons before. So I'll just repeat what what I said at the beginning of the season. If they had gone from the seventh fastest car to the second fastest car and sustained that through the season, that would be nothing short of a miracle. And just the expectation was too high. And this is just Mm -hmm. where they are.
1: Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, Any other storylines that you want to hit on? Do
0: you know what? I think people are going to get kind of mad at you if you don't uh, argue with me about the Perez-Hamilton crash
1: yeah so you were what you were upset that he got a penalty
0: oh livid that? absolutely <laughs> livid and like you know like i'm a big you know perez apologist massive perez mm-hmm. fan and, I, and i've been a perez fan a hamilton fan for for longer so when it's those two drivers coming together i was like oh no i don't know which way to be biased <laughs> because <laughs> you know perez had his race completely wrecked by that contact and then Lewis Hamilton got the five-second penalty. I, I, really, I really was angry because, it, to my mind, there's no way you look at the consequence of that and assign a penalty. And the penalty came after Perez had to retire. And you just know Red Bull were lobbying for that penalty. And you just know they won it in the stewards' room again. And, but the rules don't make sense to me because I'm sure last season they talked about the inside car owning the corner. And you didn't have to be ahead... You just had to have a significant part of your car. you had to have a, a significant overlap, and you owned the corner and uh, James Allison did a big breakdown of this last season. That doesn't mean it's your corner, and the other car has to disappear. But once you own the corner, the outside car kind of has to make sure then they, they don't hit you. like they you you have the corner, you're entitled to take the exit. And I objected to that rule at the time because I hate that the inside car can just push the outside car off. Mm-hmm. but basically, this is what they were saying, you know, if at the apex, the inside car is all the way along, which Hamilton was just about all the way along. He's got the corner and basically Perez is meant to yield that. And But at the very least, if I was making the rules, I would say Perez has to go to the outside. And that I, I would make the rules so that Hamilton has to leave it so that he can at least keep a wheel on the track if there's runoff and a car's width if it's grass or gravel. But that's not what the rules that they put out were. So I don't know in what universe... Did Hamilton hitting Perez in the middle of the track constitutes uh, a penalty? It was a bizarre, bizarre decision. Perez has previous for this, so he has previous for squeezing at the apex and then also pointing down the middle of the straight, i.e., you know, not naturally drifting out to the outside. And he did it to Russell in Austria in 2022 as well, and 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 Russell was penalised then. And it just, I know, it just feels like some drivers can just push drivers off track. Race after race, whereas here a middle of the a middle of the exit, they're in the middle of the track, and it's an innocuous touch, and it's it's unlucky that that has taken off part of a. It shouldn't matter. Like Toto Wolff says, it's only a few points, but I just I just want some consistent stewarding. You know, I'm glad it was a situation like this where I'm a fan of both drivers, so I'm I'm convinced. If it was the other way around, I would be saying yeah. Lewis, you squeezed, him, you squeezed him on the apex <laughs> and then you squeezed him on the, a- on the, on the exit. What, what did you expect was going to happen? Um, Silverstone 2021, I don't want to bring that up again. But if, if, you, if you squeeze a car tight on, before the a- apex, you know in any form of racing that then naturally you're going to go to an earlier exit than, than you were. At the very least, you're going to try to go for the same exit, the two of you together. So to hold a tight line in the middle when you've already pushed your opponent onto the inside and only left him enough room to get onto a wet curb and then, you know, not opened up your steering to the exit. I just, I don't know at what point Lewis Hamilton was supposed to back out of that. And I just, I don't understand, I don't understand how that's a penalty. So yeah, I got, I got quite, I got quite uh, animated about that one.
1: You, you seem like you're still kind of working through still some feelings, some feelings on that. Um, people may be disappointed with me and I'm, I'm going to be a bad podcaster here, but I don't, I'm really not fired up in in either direction on this one. It it felt, felt a little bit soft to me. I I will agree with you on that, but I, I am not actually like upset about it. I I think you're probably right. I'm sure Christian Horner was, was on the horn very (laughs) fast and very loudly about this, especially considering that it was Lewis Hamilton who was involved, Mm -hmm. um, I I personally probably wouldn't have assigned a penalty, but I am also not upset that it happened. So <laughs> no, do you know, what? here so we are. I like, <laughs> I, I like to be the wet blanket. I, like,
0: I wish racing rules were. I wish they would just talk about them more, and they would talk yeah. about what what your driver is meant to do in certain situations. Because I want to be able to play. You are the steward as a fan when mm-hmm. you're watching NFL. Like you can say, right? I'm the umpire. Do they have umpires? Yes. Yeah, I'm the umpire. Yes. What what? Mm-hmm. Pause the video. What call would you make here? And if mm-hmm. you do that in F1,
1: we do that a lot in the NFL. Yes. Yeah.
0: And you should be able to do that in racing. But it's just it's it's random and it's down to the whim of certain stewards. And you know, certain stewards will make different decision, decisions So yes, I'm animated about that because I care, <laughs> Shousty. Because I care.
1: <laughs> you just want to uphold the the proper standards of Formula One. That's <laughs> yeah. that's where we yeah, are.
0: It's um how how can you how can you pund it, armchair or otherwise? if the rules aren't clear and the rules are sure. not clear. And, and anyone who, who, who is yelling at me now through their podcast <laughs> app, uh, go, go and search James Allison Explains 2022 Rules. Um, look up Brad Philpott's interpretation from 2022 as well. And there was lots of people who did break, breakdowns at the time and none of those breakdowns would, would put Lewis Hamilton in a, a penalty position here. Um, I will say that the, the, the rules they put out in 2022, this is horrible, is that they covered what an, overtaking car should do down the inside and what is expected of that they covered what an overtaking car on the outside is expected to do but at no point issued guidance on what the defending car is supposed (laughs) to do in those situations so uh yeah i'd love a bit more yeah
1: yeah um great we're heading into summer break which driver do you think is going to have the best summer holiday my money is on either lewis hamilton who had an epic one last year? I believe he did his tour Seems of Africa to last year, which yeah, was yeah. which was really wonderful. And uh, George Russell usually posts some uh, some fun thirst traps to Instagram and hangs out with other F1 drivers. Uh, so th- okay, those would okay. be my two bets. Okay, well, put it this who, way: who you,
0: you, you and me, we've got our plus ones. Yeah, I'll uh-huh, I'll, uh-huh. I'll bring Mrs. Spanners along. She's a good egg, really. Right. <laughs> so we're going to pack our suitcases, the four of us, mm-hmm. and we get to pick mm-hmm. one driver to then, you know, to to follow around on their summer break. Who do we join? Uh, I want to kick off the first couple of weeks in exciting fashion. So uh, Pierre Gasly, we're going to see mm. some fashion show. We'll see some fashion shows, I think. We'll bump into Lewis Hamilton and then we're going yep. full on rave. And then, and then we, we spend the second half, I think we, we chill with Valtteri in the saunas. Ah. Um, you know, uh, towels optional, obviously, and just have <laughs> a, a great Nordic summer.
1: Uh, yeah is a little too into cycling for my taste I'm not, not a big <laughs> fan of, uh, of the whole point. bike yeah. thing that might be too much activity for me but I, I would be in on the saunas um, yeah
0: there we go sorted
1: great well we are heading into summer break thank you to Spanners for joining us thanks as always to Erica Cervantes for the production help and thanks everyone for listening this has been the Ringer F1 show we will be back very soon with some special summer break shows so stay tuned for those and yeah everyone have a great week